very important information that we need to know about a very important topic that can affect us in many different ways. Uh, even if we're not a victim, we're affected by uh, sexual abuse and sexual violations. Uh, the FBI says that that is one of, if not their most underreported crime, mm-hmm. and 98% of victims of sexual violations and sexual assault and sexual abuse know their attacker. So that leaves only 2% who don't know or have any connection to the uh, perpetrators of this uh, horrible, horrible uh, crime and set of circumstances. So a very, very important show. And as you and I, Zeke, were talking uh, before the show, we think this is even a more important topic for men uh, because this is not a subject that men uh, broach on a lot of occasions or seem to know what they should know about this very important subject. Now, before we bring Yvonne onto the show, uh, give me your thoughts on a little bit of what I just shared with our audience. Well, I appreciate you even asking me that question uh, because I know that on on uh, MWP, on Motivation for Purpose here, we have uh, we have some good friends of this show. Uh, they, in fact, I think our our first show ever where uh, was a beautiful thing to see men in Rape for Profit. Remember the documentary? Men involved in pursuing this discussion, maybe from a slightly different angle, but still from the for the protection of women, for the protection of the culture. And and I think you know here on Motivation with the Purpose, we have done a very good job of making sure that we highlight this discussion for a variety, for a variety of different angles, especially with what we, what we hear from Yvonne today. But yeah, look at look at what we did with, uh, and that was one of our strongest and popular show that we're Rape for Profit that really brought that thing to a forefront and having us men in this in this studio talking about this. In this case, we're bringing in the voice of Yvonne, a very a very uh, instrumental, uh, I mean, very passionate instrumental person and woman in this that may. I mean, we need to be educated from a female voice deeply on what we're talking about here. But, hey, we we, we will hold no punches here on Motivation with the Purpose to talk about such a topic from such a, a, a unique perspective. Well said, my friend. And with that, I'm going to introduce our very special guest today. Yvonne Russo has been involved in analyzing the epidemic of sexual violations for over 20 years as a former law enforcement officer, victim advocate, author, singer, and songwriter, and healed victim from her own childhood sexual abuse. Her greatest desire now is to help other people reclaim their lives from sexual abuse and assault, and she provides a logical method of recovering from an illogical crime. This method includes the use of an educational book, a music CD of songs written and performed by Yvonne herself, and an interactive workbook which includes the music as exercises as well as the steps she took during her own recovery. All those materials are called Beyond Myself, thus the name of our show today. It's my great pleasure to invite Yvonne Russo and say good morning, Yvonne. Great to have you on the show. Good morning, Rich and Zeke. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Why is sexual abuse so prevalent? How and how prevalent is it? 
We are currently at epidemic proportions worldwide um, through incest, through violations that are happening on campus, um, through the human sex slave trafficking that's going on. Um, It's just snowballing to a proportion where it's overwhelming for society to really take in how bad it is. Um, The statistics that you gave in the beginning were absolutely accurate, but I think what's more important is statistics don't matter to the victim. They just want to be heard. They want people to know what's going on out there. They want to try and be involved in, in the prevention as well as the healing. What do you feel is the biggest myth that we have about sexual abuse and I want to have a follow-up question to that. And uh, Zeke, feel free to jump in any time. But uh, tell us what you think is the biggest myth about sexual abuse these days. I think the most well-known myth is that um, sexual abuse and, and violations are not about sex. Um, it's about power and control. Um, the majority of predators have experienced sexual abuse in their childhood, either witnessing um, or being involved in somehow. And what they're trying to do is deal with their own issues by putting them on somebody else. They don't have the coping skills to deal with their own pain, and that does not excuse them. That is merely an explanation. But to me, one of the greater myths is that this is a male-oriented crime, Um But to me, this is a human issue. It's not a gender issue. We are finding that as many boys um, are being sexually abused as well, it's just not as prevalent in coming out. But predators come in all shapes, forms, and genders. Let's 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 dive and let's unpack that a little bit more. You made the comment that this is a, a male or, oriented or, or originates in a lot of males when it comes to this uh, crime and the predator and so forth. So let's talk about what's feeding this frenzy. You know, um, let's talk about some things that you have uncovered in your time that you think is helping to feed this frenzy. And when you, especially from a male's perspective. Um, I think um, we've become so sloppy. We've become very voyeuristic in society as, as a whole, um, feeding into the pornography addictions, feeding into what we see our children wearing, what we show them on TV, those kinds of things. Um, some of the things that bother me the most are the outrageous cartoon shows that are just so incredibly inappropriate, and you know children are out there not being monitored. Um, I, I think that myth that it's male-oriented uh, needs to be debunked because, while the majority probably are males, we certainly do have female predators as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. part of the problem of feeding into it, as you put it, which was very good, is that we're not acknowledging the victims in an appropriate, timely manner, which is going to, uh, for the, the personalities who don't know how to deal with it, many of them become that predator, and, and the cycle just continues viciously. Can I can I ask you to uh, approach a viewpoint that I I tend to use? Yeah, I'm wondering if you feel the same. This is something obviously that we haven't necessarily touched on yet. But we, when I look at this to Yvonne, I have this feeling of 
we are such an individualistic culture that we are so we drown ourselves in a desire to self-medicate, self-improve, self-everything. And when we have this me, myself, and I approach, a small, a selfish approach, do you feel like there's a little bit of feeding this friendship that comes from this, this desire to just just please myself as opposed to live an other-centered life? What do you think about that whole uh, perspective? I absolutely agree with you, Zeke. Um, the problem with instant self-gratification has become so huge um, it, at the cost of anybody. We've exactly. Seemed to right. lost, yeah, we've seemed to lost that compassionate element in our society and in our world of, you know, don't climb over the other person just to get higher up for yourself. Um but what we're seeing more of is is more children who are growing up and acting out with rage and anger, and sometimes they feel the only way to get attention that they're needing is to do something drastic. So I totally agree with you that that self gratification is a is a real problem. It's preventing us from connecting with family, with friends, with community mm-hmm. to see what the issues are that we need to address. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I say that just because I mean, with motivation, with the purpose, with you and what you're doing, and you know, and those of us that are trying to, even with my writings, especially on my website and so forth, those of us who are trying to reach this, to really address these issues, are trying. Uh, we need to speak even louder, push even harder. That the source, you know, that this is my personal opinion, obviously, and what I write about. But I use the word legacy a lot. I, I use it because I know I think again, we need to really work on when I, when I see a predator out there. That is not going to even think back to when where when they were a little boy or girl. Maybe yeah, maybe they were abused. Maybe they were you know something went on down there. But when a predator is cannot see beyond his his own feelings or desires to really violate a, a young child per se, a one that has no control over you know cannot really resist. Uh, for me. I think when we start to train our children, especially and then up on to the through the, uh, the, uh, the the different phases of life, to really own up to thinking beyond ourselves and thinking that we are here for a purpose that does not include just making myself happy, maybe we we then start to create and, and nurture a soul to avoid some of these things. But uh, you know, um, that's that's what I I, I I preach. I say it a lot. But I'm, I wanted I always like to hear what other people of your your stature and value systems believe when it comes to how do we really get to the core, the source, and not just a symptom of these issues. Mm-hmm. That, that's very well said. Um, one of the things that I've realized throughout my research and analyzation is we don't teach children to trust their instincts. You know, as I've written in my book, if they don't want to sit on Uncle John's or, or Aunt Betty's lap, there's a reason for that. And we have to let children know that that's okay. You know, we, I think part of it, we're, we're worried about being embarrassed or, or offending somebody that we don't take into consideration that we are born with those innate instincts of, of fire flight, of what feels proper, what doesn't. And when you tell a child that they have to do something that goes against what they're obviously uncomfortable, you're telling them that their instincts don't matter, that their personal boundaries don't matter. And then we have people growing up with that thought that boundaries are completely obliterated either either through um, lack of education or through the, the sexual abuse, those kinds of things. So I, I think you're right on with that. Yvonne, let's talk a little bit more about setting boundaries because I know in reading your book, 
I saw a lot of that, how to set uh, proper boundaries and to trust those instincts. So number one, how does a person set proper boundaries and how does one learn to trust their instincts? Okay. You know, and that's a good question, Rich, because especially through a sexual violation, um, it, the way I describe it, it is, it's almost like an emotional murder that you have spiritually branded someone through that sexual violation, and that's what makes it so devastating. And when those boundaries are ignored, especially as a child, you really don't know who to trust. If the perpetrator is someone in the home or within a close family or a close caregiver, you trust those people to take good care of you, uh, especially your parents. And if you're going unnoticed or if you're going through life being sexually abused and you have no recourse and no one to turn to, boundaries mean nothing. You suddenly become this object where anybody who has access to you has the potential of harming you. Um, and, and boundaries are very, very important. It tells us what we can and cannot do, if you think about it. You know, if we didn't have boundaries on the roadways, it would be a disaster. So I think from the perspective of a healing victim, learning to trust your instincts, you almost have to start over of, you know, kind of a viewpoint of who are people that you see trusting other people? What makes that person credible and worthy of your trust? And suddenly, if you can start delving into how you are feeling about things, eventually you'll you'll get back that that uh, innate trait of understanding who you can or cannot trust. And I and I can't I don't want to minimize the importance of boundaries because that is how we live every day within families, within friendships, within co-working situations, and within society in general. Right, right. Tell us a little bit about your own story, um, what happened to you, and how long did it take you to realize that boundaries were so important? Okay. Um, I remember being sexually abused at the youngest age of three, um, and then it became an ongoing situation involving many predators. And before I go further, let me touch on that uh, just a bit about how easily it is for a child to become a, a repeat victim of sexual violations. Once those boundaries are damaged, that child is going to carry traits with themselves that, that are either they've withdrawn, they have no self-confidence, um, they won't make eye contact, maybe they were outgoing before and suddenly they're withdrawing, or maybe they were a calm child before and are suddenly acting out aggressively. So it's important for victims who have experienced more than one violation that it wasn't their fault, just as with the first incident wasn't their fault. They just happened to be vulnerable. Um, but in my situation, those traits were going unnoticed, and that threw me into a cycle of, of being available to other predators um, through different situations. Um, I had repressed the majority of my own experiences. I kept tucking each one farther behind in my head. And uh, when I was 30, I experienced my first flashback of a situation involving the janitor in my elementary school. Um, oh, my. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what people need to realize is that these, these predators are everywhere. They immerse themselves into situations where they will have access to children. There is not a specific type or style of... of um, 
situation other than they want to have access to a child. Uh, fortunately for me, I had music. I started playing piano by uh, ear at the age of three, and that's what helped me cope. I was very, very blessed to be able to have music to get through my own situations with. Um, but I knew something was wrong. I always knew something was wrong with me. I was always different, um, how I behaved. So I almost self-analyzed since I was a little child, and I just knew something wasn't right. So when I started going through recovery and learning how boundaries were crossed and things started to click that, with those boundaries being crossed, I didn't understand my world around me. I never felt safe. Um, often I would over-trust people because I wanted to believe people were good, while other children don't trust at all and withdraw completely. Right. So, yeah, so the importance of boundaries is just, it, it can't be overstated. It's just so important. More with Yvonne Russo, the author of Beyond Myself, on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose, after this time out. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. This is Ezekiel Zeke Bambolo back here with my friend and superstar co-host, Rich Hallstrom. But... If you think we are stars, you have to hear Yvonne Russo and her story. Uh, she is the author. She's the creator of Beyond Myself. And you can go to beyondmyselfrecovery.com to see more about Yvonne. But Yvonne, you left us in our first segment talking about your love and your development uh, of music as a young girl. And that was something that helped you cope as well with, as we discussed the whole uh, section of boundaries and so forth. So, I want you to kind of help us dive more into that whole discussion about the, how how the music uh, helped you to uh, to cope with the situation, especially as again as we talk more about the difficulties that uh, you you dealt with. Oh, that's my favorite topic is talking about my music. <laughs> um, as I said, I was really blessed. It was definitely something that you know God delivered to me to cope. And not only to cope, but I think, I think it got me to this point where I'm now able to help other people. Music is safe. It's unintrusive. It can touch a person's soul. It can reach their heart. They can turn it off when they don't want to listen to it. They can pick back up where they left off. Um, it's just a different avenue for, for people to deal with their pain. Um, you know, you, you hear music that, that stirs your soul and, that's something that I realized when I was a child, that it was just very effective in helping me display my emotions. Um, so I have found that when I play it for other people, that they're moved as well, and it, it's kind of amazing to them that somebody has put their emotions into to music. That is usually a very safe way to deal with things. Yvonne, what was it like for you to actually put pen to paper and write out your feelings and thoughts and actually start creating these songs. Talk a little bit more about that creative process. Um, for me, speaking wasn't safe. Uh, it wasn't 
something anybody wanted to hear, as we know today. Um, it's still a difficult topic to talk about. And I found that when I would play the piano as a child, I just felt free. I felt like I was doing something that was natural for me. And so as I started experiencing the flashbacks and going through recovery, I thought, this is what I know to do. Some people can draw. Uh, other people can build things. This is what I knew to do. And so I w- it was very easy for me to put my feelings into, into words, you know, lyrics and music, and provide myself that safe outlet. It, it was definitely sanity for me. And so now I'm able to provide that for other people. And it's, this is all an innovative approach that was my recovery process. It may work for some. It may not work for others. But the feedback that I've gotten is that it's, it's very profound and um, cathartic. Yvonne, how does a person really become ready to heal from sexual abuse? Um, if they're experiencing flashbacks, which is, you know, the repressed memories coming forward into their conscious level, they need to understand that that's a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. They're going to feel like they're going crazy. But I think it's important for them to realize from the onset that um, it's not a fantasy. A fantasy is something that you get to choose the outcome. You get to determine what happens during it. With a flashback, you don't have any control. It shows you what it wants to show you. It shows you the outcome, and it's very disconcerting. So to be ready, they need to realize that if they're asking for help, they're no longer that victim. As soon as they want to have some help, they are ready to move forward at their own pace with the progress that they can handle throughout. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be pain-free, but it's very, very worth it. Yvonne, I am going to be a little unfair to you, and I want you to really draw our audience, if you can, in an emotional aspect. I don't. I mean, I'm not trying. To, I'm not asking to cry on everything on here, but I think you 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 see where I'm going with it a little bit here, and I I want you to kind of make sure that our audience feel the authenticity that you bring forth in this message that you're trying to deliver. So, one about my life, for example, to give you a uh, set the stage for you. When I uh, I lived through a, a civil war, you know, graphic scenes, uh, things of you know having bombs being dropped on our and on my head by uh, by military jets and so forth. So I came to the United States as a young boy, about 19 or so. But there were times that I would, I would I mean walk down just I was in college here, walking down my campus, and I would hear the sound of a jet, and I could immediately pick out the sound of a military jet, jet as opposed to a commercial jet. And that will always cut, catch me, cause me to flinch. And, you know, my, 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 my emotions start to take the best of me sometimes. So I want you to take us to people don't really grasp or understand the depth of the devastation that goes on in a soul, in a body. You talk about the spiritual connection, you know. And so can you take us down that devastating road for a little bit to really allow our audience to connect with you and what's happening in the souls of those people, those young people especially that have been abused? Okay. The first thing that I would say, Zeke, is I want people to imagine how painful sexual penetration is for a child. And then I want them to imagine that that child is not allowed to scream. The the physical pain, the emotional betrayal, 
the spiritual branding, uh, especially because 98% of these situations involve somebody you trust, that betrayal is completely life-altering. It affects you on a daily basis in every aspect of your life. It's as almost though your, your identity has been ripped from your soul with these giant, awful claws, and, and what's replaced in your spirit and your heart is darkness, blame, guilt, shame. You feel responsible. So many of these predators are telling children that it's their fault. You wanted this. You made me do this. Um, this You asked for it, basically. You know, a three-year-old child in a, in a, in a flannel nightgown is, is something that a predator sees as a palpable victim. They, they are going to grasp that situation. And it's just pure evil. And I don't want to uh, minimize that by just blowing it off with a casual statement. It is right. true and pure darkness for these children. Um, for me, it was a continual battle of, of life every day. I lived in fear. I didn't understand suicide until I was probably 13 years old, and then I wrote a song about suicide that went unnoticed. Um, people need to grasp what these children are experiencing, many on a daily basis, day, night, afternoon, morning, evening, Sundays, Wednesdays. It's happening continually, and these children are not able to express themselves. What do we do because, uh, Yvonne, as you say that, and as you literally kind of expressed that, and in my, my own soul is that when you said the final nightgown and I thought about my daughter and the potential of having someone do that to her, um, the other thing that drags me into that discussion, especially, if, again, is the fact that Yvonne, we, our culture, and a lot of times as adults, we have this bystander, well, I'm not being affected type mentality. And, and so we don't seem to want to allow ourselves, you know, to to be connected, to be affected. And yet and still, we don't have that luxury, do we? No, absolutely not. I'm really glad you brought that point up because uh, two points on that. One, denial is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, it's, it's quite a good aid for a child who has to uh, remain alert and, and you know, go to school on a daily basis, they have to be able to block that out. The unfortunate part is as we grow into adults, emotionally we're still stunted at that child, but mentally and, and physically we're still growing. Unfortunately, it's that emotional part that chooses our partners, chooses, you know, our careers, what do we want to do, and a lot of us don't allow ourselves to reach our potential because of fear. Um, you know, bringing up the little girl in the flannel nightgown, we're we're getting, like I said at the beginning, we're getting sloppy with voyeurism, what we're teaching our children, what we're showing our children through our, our daily lives. And the other point is we are all affected. It may not have happened to somebody that we know yet. It may not have been revealed yet. But what I implore parents to understand is that, young man sitting behind your daughter in science class may have, may be a victim and he may be the, the boy that brings the gun to school or it may be a coworker that you're working with that that you are relying on and suddenly reveals that they were sexually abused we are all affected as a society because we are building and and continuing to provide a playground for pre predators and pedophiles 
by not educating people, by not believing our children. Yes, uh, and when you say that, just to kind of uh, uh, bring that to a little, that little segment of discussion to a little closer is that I I know that you know for my I talk about the Civil War a little bit, and yes, another thing that's very uh, intriguing to observe is that when these when I was going through the war, there were child soldiers who were drugged up and sent to the front, and and this happened for you know this was a 14 year long civil war, and it's amazing to watch these young men who are now 21, 23, 24, what have you, when they were eight or nine or ten back then, and their level of engagement and thinking is still that of that little child who was drugged up. So that progression from you know uh, infant. Uh, to that young child, to teenager, to um, adulthood has not happened. And I think people fail to see what these young lives miss if they're still caught up and still stuck in that world of abuse that has devastated their life from beginning. And I think that's another important thing that people seem to miss in terms of the effects of our culture long term. That's correct. You know, so much of our violations whether it be sexual abuse or domestic violence, you're dealing with an individual who, for whatever reason, most likely because they learned it as a child, are putting it out there in front of them. There's still that little child emotionally wanting somebody to fix the situation, but they are having a, a three-year-old temper tantrum in a 25-year-old body. Amen. And that's, yeah. where the, that's where the devastation comes in, is you're, you're dealing with somebody who has the physical power to go along with that childhood rage. And it's just disaster in the in the making. Yvonne, you ch- touched on it a little bit earlier about how we ignore uh, some of the signs and some of the things that are going on around us, but yet we're a voyeuristic culture. And that brings me to a very logical question: How do we develop accurate and authentic and real support systems for individuals? that are going through all these things? What's a real support system look like? Um, You know, that's got to come from compassion. And because a healing victim doesn't always recognize who they can or cannot trust, we as the non-victims need to look inside ourselves first and recognize what role are they playing in society, whether they're watching those, ridiculous TV shows that promote sexuality or, um, you know, laughing at that joke that's really inappropriate or allowing their child to watch something. We have to start on an individual basis of are they content living in a world that has this going on because it does affect them. Um, But as to be a support person, you have to be willing to believe that individual. You may not let me let me phrase it this way. You have to believe that they believed what happened to them and go from there because unless you were there yourself, you really don't know. But the majority of victims are, are sincere. They don't know how to deal with what they've had. So honesty, um, just listening can be amazing. You don't have the answers. You don't have the answers any more than the victim has the answers of how to help. But being willing to find out what this person needs goes a really long way. Okay, what can a victim expect to gain and lose from recovery as we continue our discussion on motivation with a purpose today? Let's touch on that. Okay, that's 
That's a good one, Rich. Um, what they can gain is peace, self-worth, a new identity, a purpose, a better future. Um, you know, there's things that you cannot regain from your childhood. You can't, you can't go back and relive those years. But you can take the strength and the courage that you've received from surviving these situations and implement that through that process of learning yourself again. You, you can either wallow in it and allow yourself to be drugged down into the darkness, or you can, you know, gain that courage, capture your courage, move forward, and see what it is you want from yourself. That in no way is, is an overnight process, and it shouldn't be. But I think part of what society needs to know, as well as the victims, is that recovery is possible. It is very possible with the right procedure. Um, what they will lose is the feelings of responsibility for what happened to them. The blame, the guilt, the shame, the anger, the, the drug addiction, the alcohol addiction, those unhealthy coping skills that are now holding them hostage. Um, it's it's very important them, for them to recognize how they are now abusing themselves as a result of what they learned in their childhood, mm -hmm. and it does not have to be that way anymore. Um, they can gain that sense of identity of no longer being an object. Uh, you know, I, I talk about in, in one of my websites that as a child, I related to that plastic bag rolling down the freeway that I saw or, or a piece of litter that was cast aside. I would try to put feelings into that because they were my feelings. I didn't feel worthy of having them, so I tried to, you know, do the transference onto that object because that is how I felt. So I just really want to reinforce to victims as well as society that a, a successful recovery is possible. With that in mind, Yvonne, let's talk about the steps to recovery. Uh, briefly, before we go to our next break, why don't you outline that for us so we have something kind of to chew on today in the middle of today's uh, show. Uh, you know, again, it was analyzing my own process, and the, the first step is breaking down that denial, um, you know, looking at what you went through, uh, moving into acknowledgement that, yes, it did happen, that, that, yes, you were affected by that, and and moving from acknowledgement, you have to look at how you were damaged. What are the emotions that were that were traumatized? How was your spirit traumatized? What did you lose through through that entire process? That's probably the most painful aspect of the journey um, is those first three steps of realizing how you were betrayed and by whom. Um, and once you've moved through that, and like I said, in no way is that a, a fast process, but then you get to start moving forward of, okay, this is who I was, this is what happened to me, it was a crime, now I get to find out who I want to be, and I may end up being even stronger than I ever thought I could be as a result of going through that process. And then moving into that future of deciding what your goals are, what are your dreams that you can recapture from your past. Um, and then moving into just, it, it doesn't mean you're never going to experience pain again. It doesn't mean that your abuse isn't going to come up and bite you once in a while, but you're going to have those healthy skills to where it doesn't devastate you on a daily basis. Excellent. More with Yvonne Russo, the author of Beyond Myself, on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out.
It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose. And our guest today is Yvonne Russo, the author of Beyond Myself. She is helping us to understand sexual abuse from a very different perspective, a positive, overcoming perspective. And once again, Yvonne, I want to say thank you for your courage and your ability to take a complex subject and make it very simple, especially for our for us guys in our studio and our uh, listening audience out there on Motivation with a Purpose today. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate this opportunity, Rich. It means a lot to me. Now, i got to ask a really poignant question, or a question that I would at least think is poignant at this point. Uh, can life after sexual abuse be any good? Absolutely, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, you know, once you once you walk out of that dark fog of sexual violations and realize that not everybody in the world is out to hurt you, that you were not responsible in any way for what was done to you, um, once you let go of that and start moving forward with the strength and the determination and courage that you developed through that, you can be one of the most competent and capable people on the planet. Uh, some of the heel victims that I know are amazing people. They're following their dreams. They're helping other people. And it doesn't mean that uh, you have to be involved in an industry that only deals with victims. It's taking that courage and strength and moving forward to make yourself happy. And, and that's really, really an important thing, something that many victims don't understand. They don't know how to be playful. They don't know how to be happy because as a child it wasn't safe to be a child. So they don't understand that that concept. Yvonne uh, Zeke here again, and um, we started this uh, question a little bit earlier. I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the support structure, and I want to take us back there. But also, it ties into the question of uh, a happy life after sexual abuse as well. But yes, I want to start this part, this discussion. We tend to, I mean, as a community, as a culture, as an era per se, and it's, we know these kind of uh, issues have been around for some time. There were people back, you know, 10, 100 years ago that were hurting children as well, maybe not as prominent as it is now. But here's where I think to that is there's an issue, is that we have really blurred the lines of distinction. And I'm saying that whether someone, you know, if we were in a, a high school and uh, or a school of any kind, and we have someone who is supposed to be a teacher, just nurturing these children, uh, the lives of young people, uh, or what have you, because we don't have those, you talk a little bit about sitting on someone's lap per se, and you know, we don't even want to say Mr. or Ms. This anymore. So we've we've brought those lines, those lines of distinction, without having any re, any real understanding of structure. That it's hard to determine whether this person, because they did something a little different to me that is not normal, I should be a little bit more careful to even speak to them. But if we had those lines of distinctions of, of addressing people, even as Mr. and Sir and what have you, and more to, to that, you know, we might be able to capture some of these people or some of these, these incidents before they even happen. Do you agree about the lines of distinction in, in how, I've, how I've just described that? I, I completely agree, Zeke. We've become so fast living with the Internet, with uh, the cell phones constantly being in our hands, that 
we don't have time to exhale. We don't have time to take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, something doesn't feel right. We're so, you know, intent on moving to the next situation, the next gadget, the next whatever it is, that those lines of distinction, those are being left to the predators to define mm-hmm. in today's world. And mm-hmm. that is terrifying uh, because they're the ones that are going to define those distinctions for themselves. And, you know, we have to be willing to just set technology, set the next fast thing aside and just stop and look at what's going on around our children. You know, we can't just hire the next person because they're available. We have to trust our own instincts that and listen and say, wait, something's not right here. And that doesn't just have to do with sexual abuse. That has to do with a lot of things, investments, yeah. uh, you know, who we hire, who we get involved with on a team, whatever whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I say that, you know, because I was talking to a group of men last night in our study group and so forth, and we were talking about, for example, how to build authentic friendships, right? And uh, one of the things that's important, if you know, if you're not sure you can trust another man, for example, and like, you know, you know, can I be a good friend with that person? Can I be a really, can I really have a deep, deep friendship with that person and share my intimate details with them and eventually maybe build some accountability? But one of the things that helps me to understand if someone is one that I want to even connect with, with is the people that I speak to, the people that are in my circle, if I admired Rich for who he is, and I know his ideas, his thoughts, and his approach to certain matters, I'm more apt to speak to someone that Rich is speaking to because of that level of affiliation, all right? But at the same time, when a friend or someone that I know and their child is trying to friend me on Facebook, what I know I shouldn't be even anywhere in that realm of, you know, hey, that's not my level of friendship. They, they, we can't be the, a Facebook buddy because, you know, I, you know, I, it, I cringe when a friend's child reaches out to a friend me on Facebook just even knowing that there has to be a line of distinction. You know what? I'm an adult. You're a child. There should be a certain line that says maybe I don't want to friend this person. I, it, and I, it's weird, but that's the truth. That helps us to, cur- to curtail a lot of these issues. Wouldn't you agree or do you disagree? No, I agree, you know, and I think a lot of this uh, comes from Zeke. You look at the reality shows that are on television. We are in people's living rooms and bedrooms watching their activities. To me, that's not reality when you have a camera, uh, you know, and there's just no accountability for behaviors. Everything's acceptable. Everything is acceptable. There, there's no, there's no distinction of what we should or shouldn't be knowing while, while some things that happen behind closed doors should remain private. Of course, there are those things that are happening to children that absolutely must be brought out. But, uh, you know, children being allowed to be on the Internet without proper supervision. We have children who are, are at home by themselves for long amounts of time because, you know, whether it's a single parent or two parents that need to bring in the money, whatever the situation is, you know, we have people leaving their children with casual acquaintances anymore um, you know, it's like you meet somebody at the the, the uh, grocery store, and you're going to ask them to take care of your children. That's how absurd it's becoming. Yvonne, tell us about tell us about your truest source of healing. When did healing really happen for you, and how? Uh, my truest source would have to be Jesus Christ. Um, I fell in love with him, so to speak, when I was 13, when I realized that he experienced extreme betrayal, he experienced extreme pain. It made it so easy to relate to him that 
I really wanted to get to know him better. Um, years later, you know, I really started getting into the, the depth of my recovery, and I was at a point where I really was ready to leave the planet. I wanted to die. I wanted to be done. It was painful, and I just begged for mercy. And Jesus Christ came to me, and he he was the first individual I felt in my life that didn't force himself on me. He didn't expect anything from me. He was giving me everything. It was nurturing. It was understanding. It, it didn't feel funny. It didn't feel awkward or odd or like there was something expected on the other side, you know. And, and the opposite, uh, opposite of that would be parents that need to look out for people who are giving their children gifts for no reason or wanting to take them places to have fun. And again, you don't trust that instinct. So for me, Jesus Christ gave everything and expected nothing from me. And that to me was incredible. And that's when I knew he was going to be my best therapist. He was going to be my best friend, my best support. And he wasn't a man of aggression. You know, when he would speak, it would be, come and listen. It wasn't, you have to hear this or else. There was no um, ultimatum with him. And to this day, he is my best friend, and he is the one I turn to for advice. But, Yvonne, I've got to ask you, I, 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 you said in a very unique uh, way in terms of how Christ became that one that the first person didn't force himself on you, per se. So that leads me to ask, curiously, who and how were you introduced to Jesus Christ? Um, I was taken to church as a child, um, and so I would listen to the sermons, and I thought it was very interesting. Um, but I, I, I really encourage people to seek out their own answers. You know, don't. We have a lot of hypocrisy going on um, in the Christian world as well as well as the world as a whole, where somebody says that they're a Christian, they are a believer, but yet their behavior doesn't exhibit that. And and it's turning a lot of people away from Christ, and and that is very upsetting to me, uh, because he laid his life down for us that we'd be saved. And when you have somebody who's representing him, whether it be a parishioner or a member of the clergy or a neighbor who says they're a Christian, that's really dangerous territory when you're dealing with spirituality. And I really strongly urge people to seek him out and ask questions. You know, you can be angry at God. I certainly was. Um, why do you allow this to happen? Um, but understanding Christ, he's just somebody that's so easily to, easy to relate to, especially on the, the painful position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, 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 on, you nail on the head when what? you say that uh, people ought to ask questions. Um, are you asking, like, what they should ask or who should they seek answers from? Or Yeah, let's talk about in our remaining moments... Uh, Yvonne, who we who we should seek who should seek out for those answers to those very important questions that you were talking about in relation to in relation to Christ and in, in relation to how God fits into this puzzle in our remaining moments. Okay, um, you know, again, it's it's I don't think that's something that they can jump into right away, nor should they. Uh, it's it's going to take time to build up those instincts of who you can or can't trust. Um, who is proving themselves to be truthful and trustworthy, um, and then go from there. You know, it's, it can be found inside or outside the church, 
Um, they, God knows people's hearts better than anybody knows, and just trusting those instincts and learning to pray for those answers is just fundamental. That's excellent advice, and we once again thank you very much, Yvonne, for your courage and your ability to tell your story. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? I think the final thought, Rich and Zeke, is that people need to know their children, and by that I mean really learn their behaviors um, so that they can see if anything's going on, trust those child, you know, those children, believe those children when they say something has happened to them. It's incredibly important. If safety doesn't start at home, it's it's very important that a child experiences that, and if they're not getting there at home, then they're not going to be able to find it outside. What they'll end up finding is other people who are predators that want to take advantage of them. Um, but also the other thought is that it's, it's important to recognize that there is a successful recovery process to healing from a sexual violation. It doesn't mean it's not going to be painful, but it can definitely be overcome. Excellent, excellent words of advice and encouragement. Our guest on today's edition of Motivation with a Purpose has been Yvonne Russo, the author of Beyond Myself. You can find all these materials and all her wisdom at beyondmyselfrecovery.com. Once again, thanks, Yvonne, for your time, and have a great day. Zeke, it's been a great show once again here on Motivation with a Purpose. Uh, Any final thoughts, Zeke? Well, I will just leave it at uh, saying that we have a culture and a society that so easily wants to uh, blame someone else and hinder the opportunities of leaving ourselves and leaving those around us, our dependents, a great legacy with which to follow. And I think this is one subject matter absolutely that we must begin to submerge ourselves into each must take an individual uh, account, an individual interest in making sure those around us are secure and safe, regardless of whether it's happening in our home or not. So my my last thought is just a motivation that we need to fight a battle and fight it strong and speak up. If we think there's a relative or someone who may be potentially not only a victim, but even someone that may be potentially hurting someone else, we need to and heal our culture. We need the healing now. I don't, I mean, obviously Christ brings the inter- eternal healing as Yvonne described, but we need to get involved in the fight. Excellent, excellent advice, Zeke. Once again, this has been Motivation with a Purpose. For Zeke Bambolo, I'm Rich Hallstrom. Join us next week for another exciting episode of Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone.